please help spread the message of frequency-specific microcurrent by clicking on the like button. You can subscribe to us on YouTube or any podcast app. If you have any questions, please leave them in the comments. You can find the podcast transcription at frequencyspecific.com, as well as more information about frequency-specific microcurrent. Today, I was at the clinic until very recently. <laughs> Two seconds to go. <laughs> Just enough time to, oh, I have to show off my new mug. Oh. This is the new California logo edition. Sweet. Speaking of showing off, the team downstairs has ordered stuff for the advanced. And so we ordered like one and then it'll have a QR code. Yeah. This is the back of the sweatshirt. Yeah. And then it's a zip up. And then there's bags and shirts and all sorts of stuff. Fun. Yeah, very nice. I also, now I want to show off my other nice. stuff. I'll wait till next week because I also got some new hats made this year and some new pouches. So I think that's one of my favorite things about going to conferences is coming home with the t-shirt and the pen and the water bottle and the bag and the We stuff. got mugs. Mugs, yes. Yes. It's so funny because... We were talking about how, or I was saying last week, how excited I am for Wednesdays, even when there's so many things to do and we're we're going and sometimes it's like stressful and what do I plan for today and I hope my computer works, but then I sit down and I have my cup of tea and I'm like, (sighs) it's all just sitting in your kitchen or my dining room and we're just kind of, you know, and I got the dog sleeping at my feet and we get to learn and share and all that good stuff. Yeah. Ellie is downstairs because she's having a very barky day. Well, it's one of those. You just never know sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. The wind. Let's just face it. Everything we do is unpredictable, especially the podcast. Oh, especially life. Mm-hmm. Well, and I want to segue this to treatments because I think as different as you and I are in our approaches and our personalities, I think we have one thing in common and that is to tackle each patient with as much educational knowledge, hypothesis, but to also have the flexibility to pivot and to discard your plans. Treat what you find. And treat what you find. Somebody had asked me the other day, what is the hardest lesson you've learned professionally so far? And I said to be able to be adaptable and pivot because humans don't get to fall into the little box that we want them to. And it's a gift, but FSM expedites that gift. Most valuable lesson I have learned is never skip a complete physical exam ever yeah every time I do every time I look at the pain diagram listen to history think this slam dunk I know exactly what it is every single time there's never ever been a time when I got away with it no after five years of educated arrogance I'm pretty sure I know what it is it's obvious two frozen shoulders lifting 90 pound things for a job and now you're 73 and both your shoulders are frozen 
And I still, reflexes, sensation, neck range of motion, don't skip it. Because what's it going to hurt? Absolutely nothing by doing it. And it verifies your findings. Great. You have extra confidence to proceed forward. But you're right. Every time you think and you start treating what you think is there and it goes sideways. I doubt that what you skipped was important. And what I found was doing the reflexes. The one thing I remember from geriatrics is that reflexes decline and disappear from the bottom up. So if there was an Achilles reflex in a 73-year-old woman, that would be abnormal. Right. She had no Achilles reflex. Yay. Both knees, one knee was a plus two, normal. Mm -hmm. One was a plus three, very brisk. Okay, a plus three patella reflex in a 73-year-old woman is abnormal. I'm not going to tell her that, but because there's no other indication that she's surgical. So let's not worry her. But now we know for sure that her frozen shoulders started in her neck. And sensation was all normal. So that's three things it's not. And now you know, okay. I'm dealing with shoulders and disc bulges at five, six, and six, seven. And even for practitioners that don't necessarily go there right off the bat. So personal trainers, massage therapists, even some PTs aren't thinking about doing reflexes, sensory exams, or thinking about nerve entrapment coming from the neck. They're looking at, oh, it's tennis elbow. And that is that. So I had a very easy slam dunk trio of tennis elbow people come in two were repetitive strain coming from the extensors but one was a cervical disc c7 and instantly c7 c6 sorry six is lateral yes yeah anatomical position you've seen my little room i have one really ugly poster and I, i hate half of it but the other half is very clear because it shows the dermatomes And it's so nice when a patient can be like, that blue part is me. I'm like, huh? Yes. And then that always reminds me to check. And so treated her neck and she's like, why aren't you treating my elbow? I'm like, just bear with me for a second. Everybody treats it and it hurts. I'm like, no kidding, because it's not coming from your elbow. And she talked about manual therapy makes it worse and this makes it worse, but two treatments and it was gone. But I don't know if I would have gone there that fast without all the extra tools. And what I want to get to is that we never say FSM is a replacement for other modalities or a replacement for an adjunct. An adjunct. And the training that we do, it's not sitting in a seminar memorizing frequencies. It's all the little bits and pieces. And as I'm repackaging my talk for the advanced and the sports course and the sports advance, the more like people are using this and the more feedback we get, the more the course changes because you realize, oh, I have to teach them this so that they can do this so they can unpack that. <laughs> and that's why the core changes every year. <laughs> yeah. I've got the core so that it's really, it's too long. It's too much. It's the same complaint every time. I'm sorry, you tell me what to leave out. And it's 
the thing that makes us different is that nobody thinks of lateral elbow pain as nerve pain because they have no way to treat nerve pain. Right. Because we can treat both the nerve and the tendinopathy, we are in a position of having to decide whether it's the nerve or the tendon. Is it really a tendon strain? That's easy. It's 124 and 77 and 124 and the periosteum. Yeah. And maybe the bursa. Yeah. And because this muscle is enervated by this nerve, it can be both. And when you're in a pinch and you maybe don't know, or maybe you blew through the sensory exam, multiple machines, one on the nerve, one on the connective tissue, and it's going to work. Yeah. So sometimes it's not being that quick and that brilliant. Sometimes it's just covering your bases because the contacts are going to be the same. I'm going to put one behind the neck. I'm going to put one on the forearm or on the wrist. And it's easy to mm-hmm. treat that way. Yep. I love being asked to- Today in the lawyer's office, I was having a conversation with the business manager at something else. And she said, what do you do anyway? And I said, we have these frequencies, blah, blah, blah. And we're able to treat nerve and muscle pain. She says, this happens every time. She said, I have this numb spot. And she points to this place on her thigh that's an oval, starts at her hip, and it's an oval down the lateral, it's a lateral femoral cutaneous nerve. And I said, is it painful? She said, no, it's numb and it tingles. And I said, it's a lateral femoral cutaneous nerve. Did you have a seatbelt injury? Did you have a hip replacement? Did something happen up here where that nerve comes out and it makes that nerve numb? They said, no, that they told me it has something to do with sciatica. No, the sciatic goes down the back and ends up in your foot and your butt. This is the lateral femoral cutaneous. Can you fix it? Yeah, so far. It it does come from your back, but it comes up high. Right. L1, L2. And she said, I do have back pain up there. I said, then maybe there's two things to fix. Maybe it is a little disky thing and I'll give you some exercises. Just lay on your stomach at home and lift your foot an eighth of an inch off the table and make an appointment I think I can see in April. Okay. That's the curbstone diagnosis, but because you know that the only thing that's there is the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve because you have that dermatome poster up there that has this little oval right there and you look at it for 30 years. Okay, so I want to unpack a couple of things here. I feel like the word sciatica is one of those trigger words that I have, along with frozen shoulder and eye rolling, all the things. And sciatica, even if you think you have it, it's not a sentence like you have gray hair. It is a pathology. Don't accept that. There's something that can be done with it and break it down and figure out if it is the sciatic nerve, why is it irritated? And how come we're not unpacking that more? Yeah. And I have sciatica, but it stops at my knees and it's worse when I bend back. 
they really do have sciatica and have some gabapentin. Yeah, I know. it. It's what makes it so easy to have an elevator presentation. Somebody says, what do you do? I use this technique that was developed for treating nerve and muscle pain that uses frequencies that were developed in the 1920s. You treat nerve pain? I have the sciatica thing. goes clear down the back of my leg. hurts like hell. And the drugs make me all stupid. And can you fix that? Yeah, it's not that hard. Usually. Do you have an MRI? We can try. It's like, and then the next thing that is said is, when can I get in? Let's call my receptionist. Probably next week after. Right. And something like nerve pain, I know we always say it's not that hard. It can be challenging to make it long lasting and to close the case, but we can instantly take the pain down when it truly is the nerve. That is one of the easiest things that you treat, which is crazy to think about that you can do that. We just said that out loud. It's the easiest thing we treat. Now, repairing the disc, I tell people you have this jelly donut in your back in between the vertebra. I take out this little spine. And this is a jelly donut. And the donut has got 14 layers, 17 layers of donut. And then the jelly on the inside is like battery acid. And when you bend forward, the jelly goes out the back. And right next to where the jelly goes out are these nerves. And they get really irritated because the jelly is really irritating. And so we can get rid of the nerve pain. But to fix the donut... You have to pretend that you have a sprained ankle in your low back. Right. So you are not allowed. Nobody likes to say, I can't. No. But you're not, you just tell whoever, I'm not allowed to lift anything more than five pounds. I'm not allowed to bend over at the waist because when I bend over, it pushes the jelly donut. I'm just not allowed. Not forever. Six weeks. Twice a day, you lay on your stomach. That makes my nerve pain better as well. And you lift your leg like this. And then you come see me twice a week, three times a week, and for two weeks. And then pretty soon, the donut starts to heal. And then it In six weeks, the sprained donut is better and the nerve should be better until the next time you do something stupid. (laughs) It's so true. And I'm grateful that you're talking through that story because I always say this, it's not a party trick what we do. And of course we want those results that we have in the clinic to last, but there are also some responsibility to educate the patient that this nerve pain came from somewhere. And that's the thing too. So we broke down sciatica, but again, people are just happy with the phrase, oh, the doctor told me I had sciatica. Did they tell you why you have sciatica and if it really is sciatica and how do they know it's sciatica? And then they're just looking at me like, those were three questions I don't have answers for. And I'm like, but you have every right to ask, where did I get this from? And guarantee you, they're going to, they're not going to say they know. They're just going to give you a prescription for it. But our job, my job is to be the detective and figure out why is this nerve inflamed? 
or is it inflamed or is it adhered to something or is the muscle putting pressure on it or is our bursa putting pressure on it? And we can do all that very easily with sensory exams, biomechanical tools, range of motion assessments. Pinwheel on a straight leg raise. Yes. But the pinwheel says prickly. Okay, that's sciatica. Yeah. That it's just now they know where it is and that it feels different than other places where the nerve isn't irritated. Right. And so that's the pinwheel, straight leg raise. Okay, that stretches the nerve. And so now we know that it is the nerve actually that's tipped off. Yeah. That's a technical medical term for sciatica is ticked off nerve. It's a term that everybody can understand, right? So yeah, walking a patient through those steps and then treating the nerve, getting them out of pain, but then explaining we're not done here. And I think sometimes I lose people for a couple of days, especially new patients, because they're like, but it's gone. I don't need to come back. I'm like, oh, it's going to come back. It's going to come back because we didn't fix the root cause of it. Muscles are weak. Muscles are not firing. Things are offline that have been offline for a very long time, and they will not come online until there's a safe environment for them to reappear. And hence, when I do the exercises, which I learned as a patient from the folks at New Heights, you lie on your stomach, that makes your nerve feel better because the jelly goes back towards the front. And then you think about lifting your leg, they should contract hamstring, glute, ipsilateral lumbar muscles, contralateral muscles. And if the contralateral muscles contract first, you lift it too hard. The ipsilateral, the ones on the side of the disc and the nerve, those are inhibited because of the disc. So you don't lift your leg two inches, you lift it 16th of an inch. And that's what it takes. And then you put the patient's hand back there so they can feel the muscle that's supposed to contract and have them feel hamstring, feel that. Now your glute, now that one. Oh, I can feel it. It's patient education. Right. And patient awareness is really important. I get very lucky because I work with a lot of athletes that have an insane amount of self-kinesthetic awareness. So many patients will come in and say, my piriformis on the left is tight, my QL on the right is jacked, my psoas. I'm just like, they just know that's what they get paid the big bucks to do is to be tuned into their body. But for the most part, patients don't know their own anatomy. And especially like you said, when a muscle has been inhibited because of danger and trauma, and those muscles have every right to be offline, because at one point that would have been a cascade of world of injury, world of pain, again, to create that safe environment. And then they'll be skeptical. I can't feel it. I don't know. Is this right? So yeah, putting their hand on the muscle can be a great way to connect the two. Connects the sensory cortex with the periphery. Yeah. So if they can feel it with their hand, then the brain knows, oh, that's what it's supposed to feel like. Yes. It's a big cue when we do knee rehabilitation, especially for contracting the VMO. Your small little muscle on the inside of your knee should look like a little ball. A lot of times it's atrophied in patients. We tend to be more on the lateral side. 
So the VMO will atrophy and to get that muscle to target, we focus in on that last 30 degrees of extension. So just slightly bent to fully locked and I'll have the patient look at it and poke it. I'm like, yeah. this little guy, because it's hard to differentiate between your quadriceps. I understand that, but just looking at it. And like you said, connecting the periphery to poke it like, oh yeah, I see it. I'm like, you don't see it, but I'm glad you're aware of it. But internally and externally rotating your foot and which makes it more bulgy. And I've got my hand on my VMO right now. And it's, oh, if I internally rotate my foot, it makes it more bulgy. Okay. It's making it simple. It is. And that's one of your Carolisms, right? Be a student of easy. Yeah. So I think about that a lot with patient education. And it's hard because we want to give them all the stretches and all the exercises and all the heat and ice and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But you have to give the patient what they're going to do. So when patients are like, what's the best thing for this? I'm like, the one that you're going to do. Oh, I'm like, so if I tell you to walk a mile outside, I think it's great that you're outside and you're on unstable surface and you're with the sunshine and you're breathing the fresh air. But if you're not going to go outside when it's minus 30, then walk around your house or go to a gym and walk on the treadmill. Like you have to do what you're going to do and you have to be honest, right? That's the one thing my patients, I, I try to always say, just be really honest all the time. I'm never going to get mad. <laughs> this is a safe place, but be honest with what you can take on and what you're experiencing. Well, and this week I have a patient who said, and I went to this functional medicine practitioner and she gave me this whole list of things and I have them all, but I don't take them because literally on the second visit the first visit was all this testing second visit were 14 supplements no instructions about when how much why I give people two or three things to take what they're taking it for and then we'll see if that improves your symptoms okay and it's all written on a piece of paper then they lose the piece of paper, but or but at least they have it. And same thing with diet. That's okay, make this huge change in your diet. Todd Robinson used to say it's easier to change somebody's religion than it is to change their diet. <laughs> and it's do you think you could avoid gluten? Okay, let's not start with gluten. How about yeah, no. Can, you've been sick for about 15 years. Can you do six weeks without gluten? And they get the Bambi in front of the Peterbilt look. And it's like, it's six weeks. This is Oregon. It's really easy. And even in the Midwest these days, there are gluten-free options. Just give it a try for six weeks. Swear to God, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't change anything, then we don't ever have to do it again. At the end of six weeks, if you're feeling better, then Friday of that week, you get to have gluten three times in one day. Why Friday? If I'm right, after the way you feel Saturday, we're never going to have this conversation again. <laughs> oh, okay. You can do anything for six weeks. Yeah. Well, I just have a little gluten. I said, that's like being a little pregnant. Right. 
I had a trainer friend of mine that would say that, but I can have a little bit of that. Yeah. Do you want a little bit of heroin? They're like, no. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) It's the same thing, right? You're right. It is really hard to change someone's someone's diet. And I don't think anybody should be expected to make all these changes right away. And again, it's hard as a practitioner where you're reading through the history and you're getting all the signs and symptoms and they should be off of gluten and they're not exercising or drinking water, but you you can't expect everybody to make all these massive changes. Yeah, exactly. So I have one patient that hates to be outside and has a dog. And I'm like, could you try to do some exercise with your dog outside? Maybe. So when you're letting them out to pee, just go with them in the backyard and just have a couple breaths. Outside. Yeah. Do you know what that makes me think of instantly? What? The BIVSS. You look for a vestibular injury, instantly you do a vestibular screen and give them the BIBSS. How they feel when they watch television or try and read a book. Because when you go outside, there's moving visual information. In your house, you have horizons, you have straight lines, you have window shades, and nothing moves. You're right. You're right. That's right where my brain goes. When I went to one of the first cores in person, you were just talking about it and you said, do you hate going into Costco? And I remember the lady sitting next to me was like, that explains it. And why she couldn't be in shopping malls or because you're right in Costco, there is no horizon. It is just massive shelves. Yeah. On top of you. Carts and everything moving. And the way it's turned out in the last 15 years Actually, the vestibular screen has improved. The vestibular sections improved over the last 10 years. But in the last 15 years, when we get to the vestibular section, in a class of 30 people, it's 20%. I've had people in class just start crying because now their life makes sense. And when I ask, how many of you have symptoms that now make sense? Six hands out of 30. It's 20% every time. And then how many of you have patients where you now recognize why they have the symptoms they have? Another probably 30 to 40% of the class will raise their hands. It is the most, that mold are the two misdiagnoses that are just. And that in itself because I was really spoiled in Calgary where I practiced. You remember the big building that I used to work in, all the practitioners. We had an amazing vestibular PT there. And I'm still on the lookout for one here in the Bay Area. But I couldn't treat it, but I could at least identify it and flag it enough to send them to somebody. And that was life-changing. And it's funny, I listened to a talk last week and the speaker was saying, our most primitive desires and needs are to be seen and heard. And he was talking about personalities and childhood trauma and how it all kind of filters in through there. And I was thinking about that so much of when patients come in and you can make sense of their symptoms that nobody else has been able to put together, or they thought they had five separate illnesses and it was actually just one that had five 
faces and the look that's on their face when they're like, wait, this makes sense to you. I'm like, yes. It's all connected. It's all. And And why does it come and go? It's here. You put, see this barometer app on your phone when it's 30.0, you feel pretty good on a sunny day. Yeah. In the summer, I'm pretty good. And in the winter, I get so tired and I feel woozy and my stomach's upset and I think I have chronic fatigue and then it's summer again. It's okay. And then we explain the connection between air pressure and the inner ear and how all it's more than they want to know, but it's a management problem from then on. And vestibular PT doesn't always work. These I just send them to Dr. Resky or Tell them about prism glasses. We do the BIBSS and their score is one woman swear. Her score was 56 over 18. Huge. And having it on a paper test is that one tool has been a game changer. Yeah. And like you said, you don't have to treat it, but to be able to identify it and point them in some directions that could be helpful. And not all vestibular therapy works. You're right. If you understand why your symptoms are there and will look for a horizon or take a meclizine until a panic attack passes, it's a management problem Mm -hmm. because vestibular PT doesn't work for everything. Yeah. Yeah. And prism glasses help a lot. My patients get prism glasses first and then they can go to PT. Okay. Yeah. That's are, are the prism glasses a, a temporary thing or is it okay? Now you have to wear these. Will it correct and get better with the glasses? No, no, because the inner ear, like if you, I don't have my glasses on now and let's see if I can find a place to look in the camera. If I look straight ahead at the camera, you'll see that this eye is straight and this eye bends in about five degrees. Can you see that? A little bit. Okay. I'll put my glasses on. And then look on the camera. And they're both straight. Right. I have Meniere's in my right ear. And it makes my eye track differently. Makes it go inward. The prisms bend the light and make the eye straight. So it improves my balance. Improves my sense of equilibrium. Relaxes my neck muscles. So sometimes patients with chronically tight neck muscles, you do a vestibular screen. That's the other thing I do on everybody now. Ehlers, Danlos, and vestibular screens. Because if somebody has an inner ear injury, you can do anything you want. And unless you run 40 and 44, quiet the inner ear, the neck muscles aren't going to relax. Yeah. It's, and who knew, right? No. And again, people with chronically tight neck muscles, they just, oh, I carry my stress in my neck. Okay. I'm not doubting that they do. And I'm not doubting that stress makes everything worse. But again, people don't walk around like this because they're stressed. Like that actually doesn't happen. They will tighten up. Absolutely. But they're making corrections because something else internally is going on. And you're right. More often than not, it is a vestibular. Or ligamentous instability. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Lots of reasons that it could be. And these days when I talk about the core, I warn people it's 50% of it is diagnosis. I can hand you a frequency 
list and turn you loose for 30 years and maybe you'll figure it out. But 50% of the core is diagnosis because what we treat is so specific. If all I had to do was wave a laser at it, then it'd be easy, but we have to treat what's there in order for the treatment to work. And it was so funny (laughs) when I first, I grabbed everything on DVD and I'm laughing because this is just so funny. And then I signed up for my first in-person course. And I remember just flipping through the binder, trying to find muscle because that's all I needed to know. I just needed the one frequency and what a waste of time this big binder was because I'm just going to treat the muscle. And it's just so cute. (laughs) And I'm sorry. It's just so funny because, and even hearing it, and I remember it was like, treat the disc, treat the joint, treat the, and there was like a thing. Treat the muscle, treat the joint. Yeah. And now it's treat the nerve, treat the joint, treat the muscle. Because it's never the muscle. Never. Sorry. Never. (laughs) And even in the sports course, they're all like, we're just going to treat muscles. I'm like, we're not actually. We're going to treat the muscle just because it'll make you feel good inside. But that's not the causative factor. Yeah. You're going to actually find out that it's hardly ever the muscle. Because unless you hit the muscle with a machete, the muscle is simply reacting to whatever it takes to protect itself and the joint that it's attached to. So I have to get a new analogy. Um, I was going to break it out, but it's like doing psychotherapy and just wanting the prescription to numb it or to self-medicate it with drugs or alcohol and never getting at the root cause. You might feel better, but you're not addressing the root cause, right? You're actually making it worse by just numbing it yes yeah a lot of people don't want to go through the work of why do I feel like this and why am I anxious and why am I depressed and why do I have both and why so it takes a lot of work and so that's why when I have people that come to me right away I applaud them for taking this on because it's not just lying on my table for an hour (laughs) no and as the practitioners that are listening like no you're not just throwing frequencies on somebody for an hour and expecting magic to happen. True. Yeah. And I know there's some conditions that you're not maybe manually treating, but you're never just throwing frequencies on somebody and leaving. And that never works. It it drives me a little bit crazy when the patient, when I get feedback from patients And they say, yeah, I had an FSM treatment. She put these sticky pads on me and pushed a button and left the room. And it's like, she really, I'm really sorry. No, that's doesn't No, Didn't do an exam. Yeah. No. And to the patients that are listening, that's not accurate. And that's not indicative of the training that we provide. Like that's not the message that's ever. No. Push up and leave is not right. No. And. I I can't help it if that's the way somebody practices. Then I tell patients that or the person that emails that I just teach the class. I can't practice. No. Again, there's definitely times where you don't have to do a ton of manual therapy or exercise. But in those cases, I'll give somebody a custom care to take home and say, you know what? You can do some of this at home, like concussion or even some of the anti-inflammatory things. If something's really acute, I'm not doing a ton of work anyways, but 
I'm sending them off with that so that they know that something easy like nerve pain comes or post-op, right? Something that's like acutely post-op, just take the machine, go have it. I don't have to be there. I have one kid that had a fractured femur and they put a pin down in the bone marrow in the femur instead of plating it from the outside they put a pin down the inside they didn't put a screen on it and so he had fat embolized strokes and some of them were in his thalamus and so he has thalamic pain he was on a bicycle that got hit by a car so he has two burst fractures one in his thoracic spine one in his neck so he's got nerve pain in the thoracic spine nerve pain in his neck and because of the ways walking, he also now has a lumbar disc. So when he comes in, he's on disability. I don't even charge him. I park him in a room. He can't afford a custom care. He runs from neck to feet for thalamic pain, from the spine to the front for the thoracic pain, from the low back to the foot for the lumbar pain, and from the neck to his hands for the cervical nerve pain. Punch a button, cover him up with a blanket, give him his iPhone and leave for an hour. And it's just nerve pain and nobody's using room two anyway. So have a seat. There are sometimes you can when it's that straightforward, but almost everybody we treat needs sensory exam, physical. And I had to do that on the first visit that one I'd say found out how easy it was. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, definitely the first visit. And I have heard that too. Yeah. Anyway. That's cool. So there's a question. Let's talk about that. Denise is asking, let, let's back up. So she's asking about a tuning fork. So tuning fork, you can talk about what that exam is like too, because some people don't understand. It's just a tuning fork. You stand behind the patient, you hit it and you put it by their ears. Yeah, I stand in front, but the Weber's it's called, put it in the middle of the forehead here and you should hear it equally in both ears. And it, I use a 128 and that's bone conduction and so it should be heard equally in both ears if they hear it only in one ear it means there's something wrong with one of the two ears and I know I should know whether it's the good ear or the bad ear but it's a screening exam all I know is it should be equal and if I once knew whether it's the good ear or the bad ear that's fallen out 25 years ago but it should be equal and If they can't hear it at all, you're probably holding the tuning fork wrong. So you have to hold it below the split and hit it and then put it here and hold it like this far from the end, about a half inch, an inch from the end, and do it right after you've struck the tuning fork. They should hear it. Sometimes they say, I don't hear it, I feel it. It's okay, which do they feel the same equal? Because they may not describe vibration as hearing. Mm. So that's one. I have one here that we came in and we got on email and it's about Osgood Slashes disease. Osgood Schlatters, and it's yes. in my talk. Yes, and thanks to you, there's now a slide and pictures of how to treat Osgood Slaughters. And she's treated everything except Osgood Slaughters. 
I'm thinking of treating the psoas, the abs, superficial lines. No, treat Osgood slaughters. It's yeah. like, look at the core slides again. I end up saying that a lot sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I know you and I were, I was venting last week. I don't know. It's nice to be able to email people for advice and I'm all for that. But when it's in the notes, it it makes me feel sad that I didn't do the work as an instructor to make that clear enough. So I take that to heart when someone asks me something that I know we teach. I'm like, don't be lazy. Like you're not supposed to retain everything, but at least make a consorted effort to check the slides, especially when there's well, the slides are, I think they're searchable, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the slides are searchable. PDFs. As long as they're in PDFs, you can search them. And there's, in the core, in five days, there's 1,046 slides. I don't I tell them right up front, you're not going to remember this. And they all get this determined look, and you can see in their lives, I'm going to remember it. And by day three, they're glazy, and they understand why they're not going to remember it all. Yeah, it's for sure. Yes. But it's searchable. So look it up. Yeah. I think the one thing to remember with Osgood Schlatter is there's various degrees of it. Not all of it has to be confirmed by an x-ray because sometimes it takes forever. So you're not going to have that big, notchy, calcified bump on the tibial tuberosity all the time. Osgood Schlatter's is just pain from that tendon pulling up on the tibial tuberosity. And Debbie says the email was about why the girl can't lift her legs. Leave the pain in her right knee. She has no pain anyplace else. That makes she could not do raised legs from a sitting or lying on the floor position. No, because that involves contracting your quads and the quads attach to the place where the Osgood Slaughters is and it's pulling on that. So, no, you can't lift your leg because you can't contract your quads because it's attached to the place it's broken yeah no the whole thinking through the mechanism right there's trauma to that tibial tuberosity because the quadriceps right so a lot of times these kids the femur is growing faster than the connective tissue can accommodate for the length and they're active so I hate to say it's a teenage boy disease because teenage girls get it just as much as boys do yeah Again, it's an inhibitory mechanism because contracting the quads creates more tension on the tibial tuberosity, which creates more inflammation and more pain. And tears it. Yeah, yeah. It, those microtraumas and macrotrauma keeps happening to the tibial tuberosity every time the quads contract and create tension on there. So mm-hmm. it will be inhibitory. I, did, I don't know what the email says, but. Pretty much it's, she hadn't treated her except for treating 40 and 90 so she treated the brain rather than the and she did lift them off the table a little yeah no treat osgood slaughters it's just 124 and 77 and 124 and 783 and and so debbie's mentioning wrong strong so that's a phrase that that i use but it's not about being wrong strong like the quads have to contract to extend the knee rectus femoris has to contract to bend forward at the hip so it's a management problem until that femur and the connective tissue decide to be on the same team again. And it will happen, but the name of the game is controlling torn and broken in the attachments. The calcified, it's 124. I've got a really crystal clear slam dunk case study that I can pop up. 
Orthopedic surgeons will say, stop doing all activity. That is the absolute worst thing that you can do. That is going to make the muscle even more tight. It's going to make it even more viscous. It's going to shut more things down. They have to use heat. They have to use FSM. You have to do active passive resisted range of motion, proprioception. So 1489 is a nice idea for sure, but there's a reason why it's inhibitory. It's not an outrageous thought to inhibit that muscle. It's well warranted. Yeah, no, it's like the x-ray that we have on that slide for Osgood Slaughters is the periosteum is like grape nuts. Yeah. It's shredded and the tendon couldn't contract. No. There's no way. And so if you turn off the brain, it's going to make the the knee worse. Yeah. So Osgood Slaughters is a thing. It is. It is a thing. There's bands that you can do to put on top that kind of creates a different lever. So the attachment can take a bit of a break and there's pressure a little bit above. Rock tape is great. So retaping the insertion can really help while you're treating the inflammation. It's temporary, but definitely manageable. It's like treating a fracture, basically. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It's, it is. And that's what it is. It's micro fractures where the tendon is pulling up off the bone. Yeah. It's like a fracture in a shin splint love child. Yeah. <laughs> a fracture in a shin splint fell in love. They would have an Osgood Slaughter's baby. <laughs> oh, oh, I love the certain geeky weirdness that happens when we talk. That's just so much fun. This is what happens when you start thinking in frequencies all the time. You start thinking in numbers because fracture, what's happening with fracture? It's torn and broken, periosteum, cortical bone, like how to heal it, what to do. Yeah. And what goes with what? And the thing is the last part you treat after you've gotten the knee pain down and the fracture healed, and then you treat the brain. Actually, I'd never even thought about putting in that precaution. Don't turn the cerebellum off while it's still broken. You want the cerebellum to pay attention. Yes, it's validated. Absolutely. You're right to do this in this moment. I think, okay, that's a really good point. I'm going to go into my slides as well and say 4089 is useful when the condition is not present anymore, or at least it's not presenting as a danger. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Because it's not safe now. No, it's absolutely not safe. Yeah. No. If you have a torn labrum in your hip, there's a reason the muscles fire in the order they fire. Yes. And there's a reason you walk the way you walk. Because if you don't walk that way, you're going to catch the edge of that labrum. And it's not going to be pretty. So the cerebellum says, don't you worry about it. I got it. We're going to contract this in this order and you're going to walk funny. But on the other hand, you're not going to end up on the ground because the labrum catches. Okay. Do we want to turn the cerebellum down just because we can? No. Yeah. No. Cerebellum's got it. You fix the labrum. Yeah. And if you can, and then correct the muscle imbalance, if you can. Right. And then retrain the cerebellum in that order. Where do I put that in the advanced? I'm rewriting the advanced with the thinking part 
in the beginning and then the tissues later. And it doesn't matter if I get to the tissues because the tissues don't matter. It's like, how do you think about it? Right. So now there's another section that's okay, fine. I've got this weekend. Their slides aren't due until Monday. <laughs> what? Really? It's Monday? Yeah. Monday the 12th. You got that email. I'm so excited. It's so yeah. funny. When I start getting these emails, it's like the advent calendar, like the lead up to Christmas work, because I'm so excited about the advance. But then there's all this pressure about getting everybody's gift and getting the swag and getting the slides and booking the flights and closing up. And Ooh, booking the, I have to get a plane ticket. <laughs> there's, there's, I just don't know when the rest of my team is flying. I don't think I've got. Oh, good. Kevin doesn't have flights either. That's what we're going to do after we get off the podcast. It's well, funny because Kevin sent me an email and was like, I got your hotel for this and this. I'm like, but that's great. But I'm coming in actually four days before that. Yeah. I don't know how big an award to give Kevin for what he does. I don't even know how he does it. It's like. Everybody bring a puppy and everyone like, we'll just give Kevin a puppy from everybody. And then. Oh no, no that would be bad. 150 <laughs> puppies. That would be bad in his apartment. Okay. Um, wrong song. Are we done with the questions? Debbie, is the condition from the disease? Yes. Or it's not a disease, it's a condition. It's a condition. It's not a disease. It's not like appendicitis or uh, pancreatitis. It's Osgood-Slaughter's, which is what Kim said. It's like the femur grows faster than the lower leg, and so the quadriceps can't keep up, and it pulls, and they're running, and it pulls on the perios and makes the whole and then the body repairs it and calcifies it and it pulls apart and then it tries to repair and then the micro fractures turn into grape nuts yeah great i love it so now we have discs or jelly donuts and also <laughs> sliders or grape nuts everybody laughs at my slides because like i have this big lasagna slide and it's got like the nerve and like the cheese and the ground beef and it all is a thing. And everyone's like, why do you have so much food in your presentation? I'm like, cause I love food, but I clearly get it from you. Cause yeah, grape nuts and jelly donuts. And there's a whole bunch of other. Yeah. And see your slides are so much fun. Cause you have such great pictures and mine are so content dense because people have to go back and reread them. Yes. So don't I've, I've taken your approach, but I give them the slides separately. Yeah. I can be a little more lasagna slides and they have the stuff but they have all the juicy content from you already so I got to have a little bit more fun with my stuff I I still use the one slide from you on the standing in a circle running frequencies and some 20 percent the bell-shaped curve the dog it's my favorite it's like oh I see colors (laughs) I, I don't know how I found that slide but it was just so perfect for what we do. And I remember, I almost felt like I was in church that first core that we're standing around and I'm closing my eyes and I'm trying to feel something. And then I'm looking around to see, and and somebody's just to buckle. And I'm just like, I want to be that person. (laughs) Yeah. Eventually. And it's really important that nobody feel wrong. So I have a class of 30 people and I said, 20% of you won't feel anything. 20% of you are going to feel pretty stoned and 60% of you are going to think you might feel something, but you're not sure what. So we run a frequency and there's three people that raise their hand or nod that they're not feeling anything. And I said, okay, 
there's three more of you in this room that aren't feeling anything and you're embarrassed about it. So who are you? <laughs> and it's, like, oh, I don't feel anything. Okay, good. It's because it's always a straight up 20%. It's great. Yeah. Like, and like you said, like you don't feel bad about it. It's so it's funny. This is a very good segue for me to say this quote that I found. So I'm taking another coaching certification right now. This one's having to do with mindset and all this stuff. And I think it's important when not even just athletes that I work with, but everyday people that oh, yeah. we're coaching them and using good wording, empowering wording. So the quote that we had last week was, when people feel safe enough to raise their hands and say, I made a mistake or I need some help, the leader has created an environment where people feel safe enough to be themselves. Right. So as a boss, as a, a clinician, anything, again, it's feel it's making sure that your staff feel safe to ask for help and your patients feel safe enough to say, yeah, I didn't like that or I didn't do any of those exercises last week. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I appreciate that because- if I'm giving somebody like some really great exercises and they're not feeling better, automatically I'm thinking, was that wrong? Or did they do them? Yeah. But if you admit, yeah, you know what? I had a busy week. I'm like, okay, then your pain coming back makes total sense. So, so let's make the exercises easier. Yeah. Can you do them? Exactly. What fits in your schedule? If we made them two minutes in the morning and two minutes at night, could you do them? There's always some flexibility, right? So that goes back to how we first started talking about it. Like you can't get hung up on a prescription or a hypothesis because it it has to work for everybody or it works for nobody. And that's another Carolism. So first one of Carol's rules, there's always a win situation. Yeah. Solution. It has to work for everybody or it doesn't work. Yeah. That's just... I was really fun writing down Carol's rules. There's Carol-isms, the one-liners I use in the core. But Carol's rules was be a student of easy. There's always a win solution. Has to work for everybody or it doesn't work. And I don't know, there's eight or nine of ten of them. I think there's ten of them. Yeah. It's clear agreements make for good relationships. Yes. Yes. Again, this all like summarizes what we're talking about. Yeah. One of the quotes from the certification is leader of one leader of some. Run that by me again. Leader of one leader of some. Okay. So this is, that one is a lot to unpack, but it is talking about putting your mask on first before you help somebody else. So making sure you are in a good space to help others yeah love what is it love somebody else as much as you love yourself we're not talking about narcissists who don't love themselves we're talking about it's easy for me to care for you if I care for me right and then I have enough leftover love to love you right yeah. Oh, the alarm is four o'clock alarm. I hate this alarm. I have a two thirty alarm. That's my happy alarm. Like podcast in half an hour. Yeah. That I am where I need to be and things are working. But the four o'clock alarm is sad because it's it comes so fast. It comes so fast. 
And then we didn't have any questions today. Did we miss it? Not, I don't know. I think just this there's, from- there's 31 people here. So either we're making sense or I don't know. Sometimes you just have those weeks where- you know, Glad you guys are having fun. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And we always have so much to talk about. So sometimes- No, I like this one. Uh, Kevin is going to end up finding a good title for this. Yeah. Kevin always does. Yeah. This is good. Hey, Kevin. I get help. Geek. What was it? Geeky. What did I say about geeky something? I don't know. I don't either. But we do. We geek out on all the things. Yeah. Okay. The fastest 60 minutes of the week. That's it. That is right now. But I can't wait to see you in person soon. It's going to be so much fun. Yay. Doing the podcast together on Wednesday night is... Oh. I love it. Yes. And then are we going to be able to, even though you're doing the advance, we're going to do it an hour later? Yes. Yeah. I think I'm going to try to start at a little bit earlier that day. And then if we start the podcast a bit later that day, should be good. Notice. Yeah. Kevin will send everybody a notice. It'll work. Perfect. All right. We'll see you next week anyways on here. See you next week. All right, everybody. Thanks. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.